This is episode number nine, another training review show where I sit down with a runner, analyze their training, and offer tangible ways to improve. Welcome back, everyone. This is Jason, and I'm excited to bring you yet another behind-the-scenes coaching call where you can listen over my shoulder as I help a runner with their training. Today, I'm speaking with Lara, a team strength running member who has a background in endurance multi-sport like adventure races and mountain biking, but recently got into trail ultramarathons. This is a unique conversation because of Lara's 2016 schedule. She's run two 50Ks and a trail marathon this year but has had plenty of ups and downs along the way. She tore a ligament in her ankle and had to deal with torrential rain and wind during a mountain summit in the middle of her ultra. We'll be diving into her history as a runner, the training and rehab work she did before her race, and the race strategy itself. Please enjoy my chat with Lara. Lara, thanks so much for being here. Um, This is another type of training review podcast episode where we're going to talk all about your history as a runner, your uh, big goal race and the training that went up to it. And then we can brainstorm some ideas on how you can continue improving down the road. Sound good. Sounds great. Thanks, Jason. All right. Thanks so much for being here. Um, so we're essentially going to talk about three different areas. First, we're going to go over your history as a runner, kind of your background, where, and when you started running uh, and your training age and all that good stuff. And then we'll talk about your goal race. And in this case, you geared up for a 50-kilometer ultramarathon a few months ago. That's right, isn't it? That's right, yes. Great. And then we'll talk about the race itself, how you executed it, your pacing, other considerations. And there are a lot when it comes to ultras. And then we can brainstorm ways that you can improve not just your race execution, but the training leading up to that race. So hopefully uh, the next 50K that you run is hands down your best. Oh, that's that's exactly what I need. I'm pumped. <laughs> I know. Sounds good, right? <laughs> so let's start just with some background on you as a runner. Um, now, how long have you been running consistently? Consistently? Um I think before, so I moved um, from Ontario to BC only three years ago. And before then, I don't think I was ever really running consistently because my background, um, I started running in high school. I did track and cross country, but it wasn't really my thing. Um, in university, I found mountain biking, and but mountain biking races were 24 hours in length. I really loved the endurance aspect of it. That led me to three years of adventure racing. And that's when I kind of started running consistently, but I wouldn't say it was consistent because I was also, um, my training incorporated mountain biking and paddling as well. So I had three years of 24-hour mountain bike racing, three hours uh, or three years rather of 24-hour to 40-hour adventure racing. And then when I moved from Ontario to BC, neither of those sports exist here. So I looked around and go, well, now what do I do? Where are my endurance sports? And someone told me about ultra running. So that's when I knew that I had to get into this and I needed to train longer hours on the trails. And I've only really started um, running maybe for two years consistently. So I'm, I'm pretty new, but not new. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know how to describe it better than that. 
Well, I think you have a good base of general endurance. And, you know, anyone from another sport, uh, especially an endurance sport, is going to have more of an advantage when they come to running, whether you're a cyclist or a um, you know, a mountain biker, whatever it happens to be, um, there are a lot of transferable fitness that's going to help your running. So I think that's great. Um, but you have, you know, roughly two to three years of consistent running behind you. Uh, that's, that's a good amount, but it's not a huge amount of consistent running. So right off the bat, I think, you know, your training age or the amount of time that you've been consistently training is relatively low. Uh, and, yeah. and I think that you have a lot more to look forward to in your running career. Now, Laura, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? <laughs> I'm 30. You're 30. Okay. I'm and 30. you're also not, um, you're not incredibly old. <laughs> you, know, you, you <laughs> well, are definitely think... young enough to have a lot more successful races uh, in your future. I um, hope so. Let's talk about your mileage. What was your, what's your kind of go-to comfortable mileage level that uh, isn't incredibly challenging for you to do on a weekly basis? Uh, you'll have to forgive me. So I work in kilometers here in Canada. So 50K a week. Um, I'm not sure what that is in mileage. <laughs> so we have, we have our Canadian guest on the show today. Yes. So 50K, um, just like 5K is 3.1 miles, 50K is 31 miles. Um, so, okay, you're running about... 30 miles a week, 50 kilometers a week. And that is a level that you're very comfortable with? Yes, extremely comfortable. I can do that very easily with no problem. The, the Well, I guess the only problem um, when I started upping those is that it's impossible here to run on anything flat unless you're running on the road. And I do all of my training on the trails, um, which we can. I'd love to get into if possible. So I find that 50K is relatively easy, but it does mean that I'm doing about 2,000 meters elevation a week, so 6,000 feet. Right, and and that kind of elevation gain and loss and, and the hilly terrain that you're running does make the mileage harder. If you were doing that on 100% flat terrain, it would be a lot easier to do. Um, now, what about your experience with other other types of races? Have you have you run a lot of shorter races as well in the last couple of years? Um, in 2015, when I started getting into it, I ran a couple um, half marathons. I ran a trail half marathon and a road half marathon. Um, for some reason, I got the exact same time, two hours and 20 minutes. And the, tr the road half was super, super hot but and flat. And um, I, I'm very, very sorry to all the roadrunners, but I was, I was, I was really bored uh, to run on the road. And the trail marathon had lots of elevation, um, and it was really technical and rudy. But I finished in the exact same time. I have no idea how that happened. Um, other than that, I had ran two other races that were about 24 hour, 24 kilometers, um, both trail and then a trail full marathon in 2015, which I repeated again in 2016. So, so about five races in 2015. And then 2016, I worked up to my ultra. Now, what was your best time in the 24K race and also the marathon? Uh, the 24K race was, sorry, just bear with me a moment. Um... This year I did it in 3:06. So I was 19 minutes faster than last year. 
Okay. That one has 2,400 meters of elevation, gain and loss. That's significant. Now, what about the marathon? Ooh, the marathon. Um, the marathon had about the same in elevation, I think a little bit more. And it was last year. Uh, this is an embarrassing time, I will admit. It was six hours, 30 minutes, and 41 seconds. It was a long time. Yeah, that uh, I'm surprised with your half marathon time in both the trail race and the road race. I would have assumed you'd be faster in the marathon. Well, Did something happen <clears throat> in that race? It's, you know, I, I don't know if I was completely prepared when I did it last year. And this year when I ran that race, I was so tired. And this year when I ran the race, um, there was a torrential rainstorm and it turned all of the trails into just a river of water. Uh, turns out only 28 people finished the, the race. Everyone else either didn't show up or didn't finish or, or just quit. So, um, it is a really, really tough course. It's all technical routes. There's only about maybe six kilometers you could actually run. And the rest of it, it's, it's black diamond mountain bike trails. It's a very tough course. I think that I need to run a, a trail marathon or a road marathon just to get an idea of what a normal time would look like because I feel that that is not um, normal for, for me to take that long to do 42K. Oh, absolutely. If just hearing your description of the race course, it sounds like a very, very slow course. I mean, only six kilometers you're able to run, and 6K is about uh, just under four miles. So vast, vast majority of that race, you were either power hiking or walking or just navigating all that really technical terrain that makes it just really hard to go fast. You know, yeah. I, I, I could see you being an hour and a half faster on the roads, no problem. Really? Uh, with, with similar training based on your half marathon time. So I do not want you to think of that marathon as an indicative race of your fitness because it is not. You are way mm. more capable than what that race shows. And I think it's just a function of the type of race that you're running. You know, you're running uh, very technical trail races and you're just going to be slow. Mm. So, all right, the, only, the only good thing about that course, though, is that at the end of the marathon, at kilometer 38, I had so much, and I was, you're right, I was power hiking so much that at kilometer 38, I actually had a 4, 430 split. I ran a kilometer 430. So I can be fast. I have the energy to do so. Um, maybe it's pacing strategy. I, I don't know. Maybe. And we're definitely going to talk about your pacing strategy um, later on. And for now, let's talk about the training that went into the 50K that you uh, trained for very recently. Now, so I kind of have a good idea of your background, um, how long you've been running, how much you run, some of your race performances. Now let's talk about your specific training for this 50K. Um, now, when when was this race? The race was August 21st. And how long was the training cycle that you used before the race? So I came to Team Strength Running in January 2016, and I did a whole bunch of base training up until April 4th. April 4th, I started your wonderful 50K um, high mileage training program. And it starts, that training program starts at 50K a week. And I was very comfortable doing 50K a week, so I had no problem. So I, I did a little bit more so that I was comfortable doing 60K a week in my base training. 
I also incorporated a lot of strength workouts. Um, you know, the trails are very, very hard in your body. So I did upper body work, core, your ITB routine really, really saved me, um, as well as ankle mobility and strengthening. And then I started my training for the 50K April 4th. Um, I also kept track of the time it took to do every run and then my elevation as well and my average heart rate. Very interesting. Um, so now, it sounds like for, the training cycle itself was somewhere around 18, maybe 20 weeks, depending on the date of the race. Well, it was 20 weeks. Okay. But I caught a huge hiccup. Um, week seven, I tore a ligament in my ankle. And it was a total freak accident. Uh, I was running on the trail and there was a flat section and I just planted my foot funny and it rolled and cracked and that was the end of it. So it wasn't some crazy technical descent or, you know, I was running away from a bear. It's just, it was a total freak accident and I was absolutely heartbroken. I felt so strong. You know, I had worked right up to 72K that week, you know, doing, um, you know, more than a thousand meters elevation in a single run for a long run. I felt so strong, so good. And then I had this terrible tear in my ligament. Coming back from that was really challenging. I could not have done it without team strength running. They are, those people are so incredibly motivational and inspirational and supportive. I could not have done it without them. Um, but I, I don't know if I came back the right way because I, I might have rushed into it or I may have not done enough. So I, I don't know what I've, what I've done differently looking back on it now. Yeah. And first, I'm so sorry to hear about the, the ankle uh, injury. I know we talked about it <laughs> a lot during our coaching calls and, and in the private Facebook community. And at least if you were chased by a bear, you would have had a fun story coming out of the whole <laughs> ordeal. So I... I almost wish that you were chased by a bear or you like fell off a mountain or something like that. That at least would have been more fun. I did tell people that it was a shark attack <laughs> um, because then they laughed and it wasn't so like, oh, you poor thing, you have this injury. And I'm like, oh, it's okay. I broke the shark ribs. It's totally fine. So, um, yeah. <laughs> now, you still were able to run a great 50K. So I think, you, you know, you, you obviously had to take some time off in the middle of the training cycle and you were able to bounce back fairly quickly it seems um to be able to put in the work necessary to run a very technical ultra marathon so um can can you walk us through the amount of time that you took off because of the injury and then your return to running after you were cleared by your doctor to to keep running so my injury for my ankle happened on May 21st, and I was absolutely heartbroken. I was 12K into a 16K trail run, and I was going to PR. I do the same kind of trails um, to run every time um, I do the medium long run, which happened to be on a Tuesday. And I like to do the same course every time because, A, it's part of the Squamish 50 course. I was really, really lucky enough to have very specific training that I could train on course. And then if I did the same run every Tuesday or similar, then I could see how I was progressing with the elevation. Wonderful so I knew that. Uh, pardon? I said that's a wonderful idea. <laughs> 
Thank you. I got it from my coach. He's pretty wonderful. Um, <laughs> so I was 12K into this wonderful 16K when I met the shark and the shark tore my ligament and I was down. So the first thing I did was I called my physiotherapist and I freak out, freaked out and said, what do I do? So um, he gave me the bad news. And the bad news is that it would have been better if it tore completely and it didn't. So what we need to do is... Um, we needed to get the muscles around it as strong as possible. So at least I could tackle all this elevation gain for the Squamish 50 course. So um, what happened after this is I took one, two, three, four, five weeks off of running, which I know sounds insane. But instead, I saw him twice a week and I started working on um, proprioception exercises. So for people who don't know, proprioception is just the feeling of knowing where your body is in space. So it's totally having spatial awareness. You can test your proprioception by balancing on one leg and then closing your eyes. And if you close your eyes, your body, your mind can't figure out where you are in space, and sometimes you topple over. So if you practice this, you can get really, really good balance, and it's fantastic for trail running. So he had me first doing proprioception exercises, and he had me doing this on both legs, so I had equal balance across my body. And it was on one, both legs, and then one leg, and then it was on one leg and a basu ball. And then he incorporated movements, so forward lunges, backward lunges. And I, I told him about some of the exercises, Jason, that you had about making sure you do lunges on all different, in all different directions and doing this with your eyes closed. And then we incorporated weight as well. So I would do a, say, a single leg deadlift but with weight, maybe holding a 20-pound um, weight, but also with my eyes closed as well. Now, that's really hard. Uh, for anyone who has never done stability work or um, single leg work with weights, especially with your eyes closed, it's very challenging. And one of the things that I always try to do with runners is to get them to be more athletic. If you're only running, if you're only doing the kind of things that you think that runners are constantly doing all the time, which is just easy runs and, you know, maybe a workout or two here or there, then you're not really developing the general athleticism and overall fitness that's going to help you as a runner. And, and I think that you really took that to heart, Lara. And, uh, I think it, 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 it gave you the skills necessary to ultimately complete that 50 K when a lot of people probably would have just given up or, or chosen a different race much further down the road. So I think that's fantastic. Um, now, were you able to do any kind of aerobic cross-training during that five-week period when you were injured? Right, right. So the other thing that I did was um, I did pool walking. I couldn't do any pool swimming or running because the flexion of my ankle, it just hurt too much. Um, but I did do some walking. Eventually, we progressed to pool running and some pool swimming. And I also did a lot of biking. So I did a lot of road biking to make sure that I had kept my heart rate up. But it just meant that I had to do, um, because I had runner legs, I had to go pretty far. So I'd have to do, you know, my longer ones would be maybe 60 kilometers or and the shorter ones would maybe only be 20K. But I did do pool and bike for aerobic. Okay. Now, yes. before you hurt your ankle, you had built up your peak mileage to about 72 kilometers a week, which... I want to say is roughly 35 miles a week, uh, maybe a little it's, bit more. It's not enough. It was nowhere near enough. Yeah, but you were getting up there. Um, 
Now, when you were all cleared to run, what kind of mileage level did you start back up at, and were you able to get it higher than 72 kilometers by the time you started tapering for the 50K? Hmm. When I got back to it, the first thing that we did was actually hiking. Um, since this 50K course was so technically challenged and had so much elevation, the first thing we wanted to do before giving running a chance, we wanted to do a hike. And there's this wonderful hike in Squamish that's um, up a sea sky gondola. It's only seven and a half kilometers, but it's 918 meters of elevation. So it's, it's just straight up. And when I did that for the first time after five weeks off, I beat my old time by 12 minutes. So I felt incredibly strong. So then I started to run, but my, my running was very small. It was, it was tests. So I would do 3K at a two minute run and then a two minute walk. And I do that four times. And if there's no ankle pain, I took a day off and then I could do that again. Okay. So maybe only like 10, 11, 12K the first week. And then the next week I do this five times and I do, you know, a three minute run and a one minute walk. And again, continually making sure I had no pain. Pain is bad. So no pain ever. I eventually was able to build back up to 60 kilometers, um, a week. Um, just one week had 60K and that happened. Uh, three weeks before the actual race. That was my high mileage week. I built up 60K and 2,700 meters of elevation. So lots of hiking, uh, uh, power hiking, but lots of running as well. But after that week, I really dropped down, like com- almost completely. Like I did um, 28K and then 14K and then tapered for my race. Um, just relying completely on the strength training that I had done. So I was pretty nervous going into it, to be honest. Yeah, and I, and I remember talking to you about this, and we were a little bit hesitant on how you might perform, given the fact that you had done very little running over the, the, the later portion of the training cycle. Um, now, since you were doing an ultra, uh, let's talk about your long runs. And long runs are obviously the most important workout for uh, marathoners and ultra marathons and, and depending on who you are, maybe for the half marathon too. So, um, what was, what were your, what was your long run progression like from the start of the plan to when you got injured? And then what were you able to do, uh, for those weeks before you started tapering? The long run I found was always really, really tricky, Jason. And this would be something that you could help me with because I always had to get the distance in, but I never knew how much elevation I should incorporate because I was trying to be really specific to the race course. But if I got the elevation that I wanted, I'd be out there for hours and hours and hours and hours. And sometimes I just didn't have time. So I, like I said, I used your training plan. So it, it built up, you know, that 10% or that magical number every, um, every week. My longest long run was only about 30 kilometers. Um, and it took me about four hours to do with the elevation. So 30 kilometers is roughly, uh, 18, 19 miles. So, um, you, you had essentially done a long run that I would say is just good enough for the marathon, but you were doing a very technical trail 50 kilometer race. Um, so you, you know, clearly weren't going into this race with the best possible training. You got injured with your ankle, your mileage suffered, your, Long runs clearly suffered. Um, now, 
what about any faster workouts? Uh, you know, clearly with a race like this, they're not as important as the long run, the overall mileage, but they do play a role in helping you develop that, you know, upper end aerobic fitness that's really going to help in an ultra marathon. So let's, um, let's talk about some of the faster sessions that you did. Faster sessions were always planned on the Tuesdays. The long run for the uh, training schedule that I had, the long run was on a Saturday. And then Sunday was like a, a shorter run, maybe 8K. And then the Monday was about a rest day or a shorter run. And then Tuesday was the strength work or was the speed workouts rather. And the speed workouts usually encompassed a faster section in the middle of the run. And so I did this every Tuesday. In addition, there were also strides that you had us do. And that what I, I call that part of my speed, um, only because when I started incorporating that into my training runs, my feet flew down the trails. I just felt like I could pick them up so much faster and maneuver around the route so much quicker and easier after I incorporated those strides. The... Speed training that I did on Tuesdays, though, I still found really, really difficult to do because the middle section, I never knew if it was going to be flat, if it was going to be rooty, if there was going to be this huge hill that I had to run up. So I found it really difficult um, if you had prescribed a certain um, pace for a certain period of time, say, you know, run hard for 90 seconds and then have this recovery because that might be straight up a hill or it may be flat. So um, I found those very challenging to do. Yeah, and here's here's a little tip for doing any kind of a workout on the trails. You really have to focus on the terrain and run the terrain appropriately. So let, let's say you're doing a fartlek where you're doing 90-second repetitions with, say, a one- or two-minute recovery. Um, you can play with those numbers a little bit. You can make those, those repetitions uh, a minute and 15 seconds. You can uh, lengthen them to two minutes. The real goal here is to get you to do some faster work, but you can't be working against yourself and against the terrain. So, um, you know, if, for example, if you're out doing that and you're right about to start one of those repetitions, but you're about to start going down a really steep technical hill, then just wait until you're at the bottom. You know, I, I think it's more important to, uh, lengthen the recovery and run terrain that's a little bit more conducive to running fast than trying to stick to the workout exactly. And then you're just trying to run on, you know, really technical downhills, uh, et cetera. So you can be flexible when it comes to doing workouts on trails. Uh, another option, you know, next time, Lara, is maybe you just do your faster workouts on a trail that isn't as so technical, or I know this might be sacrilege, but you can do it on the road or on the track. And I know that can get boring, but if you're trying to prioritize the kind of benefits of, of doing a faster session, that's one way to get them. Okay. Would you recommend that I, you know, and I was looking at my training and hindsight's always twenty twenty. Should I have switched any of my trail runs to the road? Good question. I think if your recovery runs are on such technical hilly terrain that, you know, you're kind of not getting a proper recovery from that run, then, you know, you might look into doing your recovery runs on some some easier terrain. Uh, the other option is not doing all of your long runs or, or maybe even not doing 
all of a single long run on the trails. And this is more important earlier in the training cycle where, you know, um, you don't have to do all of your long runs on the trails, even though you're training for a trail ultra. And, you know, I get a similar question very frequently about runners who are getting ready for a road marathon, but they love doing their long runs on trails. And so it's kind of the opposite problem. You know, when do you start transitioning more of your long runs to the road? Because you want to be doing your long runs, which are, you know, again, the most important workout for the longer distance type runners. You know, how do you get that specificity while at the same time, uh, a doing something you like doing and, um, and B, you know, just making sure that you're getting all those benefits. So one way to do that is to be less specific at the beginning of a cycle and more specific at the end of a cycle. So you could have done more of your long runs on the roads at the beginning and less of your long runs on the roads at the end. And that's one way to go about it. That makes sense. And I feel that, um, you know, I feel a little bit cheated because of that injury at week seven and because you talk about this speed work and you talk about this adding the specificity and I feel like I didn't even get to that point where I could um, where I could do that because I'd only been injured at week seven of, of week 20. Um, you know, and one of my questions to you, and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, is that I don't actually know what my next step should be in my running. I, you know, I had my last trail marathon two weeks ago. Um, you had suggested to take two full weeks off running. I missed it already, but I don't know what I should do. Should I spend this next year, 2017, getting strong and try this race again? Or should I up my distance? I, uh, I feel kind of stuck. Yeah, great question. And you know, on the one hand, I can kind of talk you through some of the more strategic things that you can focus on. But at the end of the day, you really have to do whatever you like doing. You know, what gets you out the door every day? It seems like you really love the longer stuff. It seems like you really love the trails. So uh, I think that's where you should be focusing on because that's where your passion lies. And that's what gets you excited. It's what gets you out the door to run the longer runs and the workouts and all the things that are hard in a, in a training cycle, uh, you have to be doing something that excites you. Um, but let's talk more about that after we talk about your race. And that's what I'd like to talk about now. Um, so we have a good idea of your history as a runner and your background. And now we have a good idea of what your training was like for this 50 K. Now this was, correct me if I'm wrong, but this was the second time that you had attempted this 50 K. Is that right? No, this is the first time I attempted it. It was the first time. And yeah. you had previously run a, a 50 kilometer race in the past, right? No, this is my first ever. This was your first race ever. Well, look at that. First, first ever. 50K ever. <laughs> now, I'd done 50K as part of a 24 hour adventure race, but it's okay. a different, totally different pace. Like when you're, when you have 24 hours to finish a course, you know, and you have to do 60K and a lot of it's bushwhacking. It's a completely different pace. You're with a team, you know. So I wasn't worried about this race mentally. And I know that sounds um, a little egotistical, but I know that I'd, I'd been out for 24 hours at once. The cutoff time for this 50K is 11 hours. So mentally, I knew I could do it. I just didn't know if my body could do it. Yeah, that makes sense. And I don't think it's egotistical. You have experience doing 24-hour races that include a 50K. So I don't think it's out of the question to think that you'd be comfortable doing uh, a 50K by itself, even with 
some subpar training and, and that injury derailing some of your preparation. I, I think that's that's completely fine. Now, what was your race strategy going into the 50K? Were you trying to run as much as you could? Did you implement a run-walk ratio in the race? How did it play out? Great question. Um, you should know that I'm an accountant, so I was very, very strategic with my race. I uh, I poured over the map, and I poured over where the big hills were, and I poured over where the A stations were, and I had ran at least once every single trail as part of the 50K. Some of them are way out there, and I'm afraid of cougars, so I've only done them once. So I had estimated times for when I should be arriving at each aid station. This was important for me mentally. It was important for my fueling strategy. And it was also important for when I could tell my husband to be at a certain aid station so he could refill my water, etc. So um, the first thing I did, and this is going to sound a little strange, is that there is a 50-mile race the day before the 50K. And I volunteered as part of that 50 mile race to be at the first aid station at six o'clock in the morning. Why would I do that? You think I need a lot of sleep? Well, it forced me to get up that early, do a shakeout run the day before. And then that night I slept like a baby I, because I was up so early that morning. So that's the first thing that I did as part of my strategy. Um, the next is that, um, yes, I was pouring over the race course and I knew that to the first aid station, it was relatively flat and I was going to go slow. I was going to walk every single hill up, every single hill, and I was going to run all flats and all downhills and keep it really, really slow. I was working at a seven minute per kilometer pace. Um, I don't know how that translates to miles, Jason. Sorry. Uh, that is a good question. I would need to do some, <laughs> do some math and I am neither an accountant nor was I a math major but that I want to say that's roughly, uh, maybe 10 or 11 minute pace. Sure. It's not fast. It's just that way. It's not fast. Um, the, the second to the third, the second to the third aid station, it has the biggest hill. It's called Galactic Schlees, and it is uh, three miles long and has about, um, you know, 1,700 meters elevation. Like, it's just a, a silly amount of elevation. Everyone fast hikes it. So my goal was to do the exact same thing, fast hike it. Now, when I got to the um, the fourth aid station, which is about, halfway at about 24 kilometers, I was way ahead of schedule. I was four hours and halfway done and most the elevation out of the way. And to give context, the average finishing time for the 50K is eight hours and 40 minutes. So halfway in, I was four hours, almost exactly four hours done and I felt fantastic. I had been eating really well. I'd been executing my um, fueling strategy and the strategy I had practiced and perfected over all of my long runs and meant that I had to take half of a gel every 20 minutes, the other half every 20 minutes and something else every 20 minutes and then as well as having my, um, my sips of water as well. So I knew that if I eat every 20 minutes, nothing would slosh around and it would digest really, really well. So everything was going according to plan. I was feeling amazing. The ankle was super, super strong. I was ahead of schedule. And then it sort of all fell apart. After the halfway point, there's a second really, really big climb. And at the top of the climb, I could tell my ankle was feeling tired. I had been out for five hours, which is longer than 
any of my long runs I had been out before. And when I finished the descent into a valley, I was hurting. I was really, really hurting. So I got to that aid station and uh, figuring out what I had to do. So my options were quit to race really, really fast. And then because I could do that, I knew I could run and then be injured for who knows how long. Or I could just walk. I could walk it in, finish, have a great experience, and uh, not continue to be injured. And I, uh, I, I left the aid station, and there was this wonderful sign someone had made by a volunteer deep in the woods that said, you are stronger than this challenge, and this challenge will make you stronger. And it really choked me up for some reason because I just felt like I had worked so hard for this massive goal. And everyone thought that when I was injured that that was it, you know, it was done. And But I had gotten so much support. So I figured, you know what, I'm going to do this. I have to finish this. I can't stop. I need to keep going. So I did. I met a couple of people who were also injured. We all walked together. We all ran the flats together. And I was able to finish. But it was when I had gone to that aid station before I saw that sign, I had to completely reevaluate my strategy. And I think that's really important because those races are so long. You need to have kind of an ish plan, especially a fueling plan that you need to stick to. But there are so many things that can go wrong and so many different things that can happen. You need to have a backup plan for your backup plan for your backup plan. And mine, it was it was finishing no matter what. And uh, that I accomplished. So I'm pretty I'm pretty happy about that. Yeah, and, and it's so important in long races to have a plan B and also a plan C just because yeah. the longer a race is, there's more opportunity for things to go wrong. And that's why, you know, it doesn't almost doesn't matter how trained you are, how experienced you are, how advanced you are as a runner. After 20 miles in a marathon, for example, is this no man's land where things can happen. And almost anything can happen. And you have to be aware of that and prepared for that. So I think one of the things that you did really well, Lara, was first and foremost, your your uh, preparation before the race. And I don't mean training. I mean looking at the course map, um, evaluating when you were going to walk, when you were going to hike, and when you were going to run the different areas of the course, and knowing where you should be at all the different aid stations. I I think that was really fantastic preparation, and it's the type of prep that is going to give you more robust plan A's and plan B's, etc. So I think that was really, really great. Uh, I think your pacing was was really good. Um, You might have been a little fast through the halfway mark, you know, knowing that you were you know, way faster than the average time through halfway. And because of your injury, maybe you were a little quick through there. Um, But maybe I'm wrong. You know, it it seems like you had a a pretty conservative pacing strategy that took into account the terrain and the hills and the technical nature of the race course itself. So I could be totally wrong on that front. I don't, I don't think you're wrong. I didn't know the average, the average finishing time was, I think, maybe a bit slower the year before. I just felt that so much of my preparation for this race wasn't, and this sounds strange, but it wasn't specifically running related. It was, it was, okay, the first aid station, everyone's going to want water. I don't need anything there. I don't want to get bogged down in the mass of people. I'm going to decide to actually skip the first aid station. I'll check in, check out, and just get ahead of all those people. Um, you know, I, I did... Um, it was just a lot of strategy because it was such a long race and there was quite a few people. So it wasn't specifically running related. 
Right. Yeah. And and I think that's smart too. Um, knowing what you're going to need at the various aid stations and planning accordingly. Uh, and the first time, the only time that I ever attempted an ultra marathon, uh, I, I admittedly had to drop out a little after halfway, but I knew that at the first aid station, you know, I had a water bottle. I didn't need to stop for any water or food that early in the race. I believe it was only five miles or eight kilometers into the race. So, you know, at that point, you know, I, I just wanted to avoid the bottleneck. I wanted to avoid the mass of people stopping for food and water at that point. So that I think that's really smart. Um, exactly. Now, I think, so let's, let's now discuss some of the things that can be improved and where you can now go from here to continue improving in 2017. So, um, you know, first and foremost, I think the, <laughs> the big thing that you can do next time around is stay healthy. Uh, <laughs> now, that's kind of an obvious thing to point out, but uh, it's also really tricky to stay healthy, especially when this was kind of a freak accident. You know, you weren't um, you, you weren't putting in tremendous amount of miles and you got an overuse injury, you got a more acute injury. You know, it's like twisting your ankle. You know, you planted your foot funny and tore a ligament. So I think uh, what you can do next time is just, and, and I don't know how to tell you how to do this, but <laughs> you can not get these kinds of silly injuries that, you know, force you to take a month off. And obviously, um you know, your fitness is taking a huge hit when you take five weeks off during ultra training. So that's, that's a huge thing for you to focus on next time. Um, I think the not getting injured is going to help you with more consistent mileage, more consistent long runs. Um, so, so there's that. And that's obviously the number one thing that you should focus on and work on for your next training cycle is being as strong as possible and, uh, uh, Focusing on intelligent training to a degree that you are trying to limit the risk of these kinds of silly injuries uh, as much as possible. Right. No, that makes complete sense. I think the only proactive thing that I can do is to get back into my proprioception exercises and just do a lot of ankle strengthening. I've been told that my ankle will never be as strong as it was again, so I need to be really careful. Um, you know, foot placements. Um, I've been told to do downhill repeats, technical downhill repeats to, again, practice my quick feet. So I think there's a lot of different things that I can incorporate into my base training, into my um, actual ultra training for next year. Yeah, in terms of, um, you know, there's there's things to avoid and then there's things to do. And the things to do, I would say, uh, clearly keep up with the proprioceptive work, with the ankle st uh, strength exercises that you were doing. That's only going to uh, not only make you a better trail runner, but it's really going to help your uh, ability to descend. And that ability to descend is one of the differences between really good trail runners and, and people who aren't as comfortable on the trails. Uh, so downhill repeats can help with that. Uh, you don't necessarily have to be that formal with the downhill work that you do. You know, you don't have to do, you know, six times one minute downhill repetitions or something like that. You could just run really hilly technical terrain just so that you're getting in a lot more of that uh, technical downhill. And that's going to help your, your training as well. Um, now, the other thing that I think that you can uh, do the next time around to really help your um, your ultimate 50K 
uh, training is let's get into some shorter races. Now, I know you're not super into road races, but I think if you were to improve your half marathon and improve um, even maybe a 10K race performance, then that's going to give us a really good indication that you're ready to run a better, uh, ha- uh, I'm sorry, a better uh, ultra marathon. Okay. And would you recommend um, trail or road or maybe do one of each? You could do a little bit of both. You know, I okay. think um, I, I think what I'm learning, and this is the second training review and race review type of podcast we've done. One of the things that I'm learning is that, um, you know, first and foremost, running is running. If you're a really good road runner, you're probably going to be a pretty good trail runner. And if you're a really good trail runner, you're probably going to be a pretty good road runner. Uh, there are certainly skills that are more applicable to to one discipline over the other. But at the end of the day, fitness is fitness. And I think if you can improve your fitness at uh, road racing, improve your fitness at some of the shorter races, that is going to transfer over to your trail running. And there's, there's almost no downside. You know, if you're, if you're getting really fast in, you know, the 1500 in the 5k, uh, and they're all on the road or the track or something similar, then you're, you're a better runner. It doesn't matter if you haven't been doing any ultra endurance races or any trail races, you've now become a better runner because you're now setting personal bests in all these short races. And, and I think speed is a skill. And just like you were saying with the strides, you know, strides helped your ability to descend some of those more uh, steep technical downhills. And that's because, you know, those strides really work on turnover and getting your feet to turn over more efficiently, working on better running form and running economy. All these things are really helpful to to your development as an athlete. And I don't think, you know, a lot of runners who focus on the long stuff like ultra marathons don't do any faster running. And I think they're missing out. They're missing out on the running economy benefits of faster work. They're work. They're missing out on the turnover and foot speed benefits of doing strides and some of the really fast uh, types of workouts. Now, of course, it's not going to be a huge focus in an ultra marathon training plan. You know, if you're training for a 5K, maybe you're doing two workouts a week plus a lot of strides. If you're training for an ultra, you're probably only doing one workout a week. It's either shorter or slower or both, but you know, you still have to do it and you still have to do some strides too. Cause I think those are fundamental to the development of all runners. And ultimately you're going to be a better ultra marathoner if you have a wide range of skills to draw from to help improve your race performance. That makes sense. Okay. I will look at into doing some halves and, and 10 K I'm a little nervous. I'm nervous. I don't have any of those wonderful, beautiful fast twitch, uh, fibers, but I'll do it for you, coach. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> You know, I, I think it's not only going to help your running, but it's going to teach you more about yourself as a runner. And you're going to improve upon skills that, you know, you haven't really focused on recently. And that's going to help your, your ultramarathon goals in the future. Uh, and so with that said, let's talk about some of those some of those goals. Um, what, what are you thinking for 2017? What's on the horizon? What is catching your eye? What would you like to do? Well, I have a very, very massive, big big goal, but it's very long-term. And my long-term goal is to eventually get to UTMB. 
Uh, so, so uh, for the people who don't know, the UTMB is the Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc. It's in France. It starts in Chamonix, and it's a uh, 100 mile, just over 100 mile race. Um, and it circumnavigates Mont Blanc, and you go through France, Italy, and Switzerland. But it has 10,000 meters of elevation. You have to qualify with certain qualifying races. There's quite a process to get to it, and you need to build up a history as an ultra runner. So that is my big goal. So for 2017, I'm really not sure. Part of me thinks I could get strong. I could get fast. I could do that Squamish 50K race again and see how I really do. And there's an advantage to this because eventually I do want to do a 100K race, but all the 100K races that are um, kind of within the, you know, where I live, or I could go down to Washington, which would be wonderful, um, are all in the spring. And there's no way I can do a 100K this spring. There's no way. So um, I'm considering doing that same race again just to build up my confidence because I'm just feeling so... Um, depleted and exhausted and frustrated with my performance from the 50k and of course with that marathon that I just did two weeks ago that because of weather and I was just tired um, that I didn't do well on so I'm, I'm not sure if I should repeat or I'm not sure if I should grow or do a combination of both I find that my my weaknesses are twofold it's one it's determining um if I'm going to do these shorter races, how I should time them in my training, because the accountant in me really analyzes and go, okay, well, if I do a 10K race, where should that be? And the other second problem I have is that I'd like to be more effective in my use of elevation and training. I think that it takes a really long time um, for these these longer runs with the elevation. It's also very exhausting. I found it really difficult if I did a long run that was only 20K but had all this elevation that I had to run the next day, I was just exhausted. So I need to find a better way to effectively um, use my elevation gain in training um, to build up my base um, and as well as time these races strategically in my in my training. Okay, I have some ideas for you. Okay, sorry, it's like a, that's a big, a big kind of jumble. I just, I there, there are so many incredible races. Some are time based. They're like do as many laps as you can in twelve hours, and that really appeals to me because I love running at night and I love you know the time aspect. And then there's these long races in the relay, and there's these shorter fifty k's, but they're flats. And I'm like, oh, flat fifty k, that would be good for me. So I don't know. Here's some ideas. So hey. let's talk really high level. And this is what you can focus on for 2017. I think, um, you know, we're recording this in November of 2016. So you still have about six, seven weeks left of the year. And I think what you might want to do now is focus on strength and speed. So you've just recently done a 50K and a marathon. So you're obviously focusing on more endurance oriented type of training right now. So if you were to focus more on strength and speed in the early spring of 2017, and so what, what does that really look like? That means maybe let's do two 10Ks and two half marathons between now and let's say very early March. So that gives you some time to train, some time to improve, focus on, you know, the faster workouts, the shorter mileage and long runs, but there's a lot more quality in there. And I'm not saying let's cut your weekly mileage, let's cut your long run distances to a point where you're not really helping your overall big goal of running UTMB. I think 
you know, ultimately, you know, you should be keeping your long run at a pretty good level, you know, and that's, you know, definitely 20 kilometers for a long run, which is about 12 miles. But, you know, I, I would really like to see you get around. Let's see. I'm trying to say this in, in kilometers. <laughs> um, <laughs> I want to say 15 to, to 18 miles. But, you know, in kilometers, we're looking at, you know, 24 to maybe 30 kilometers. And I'm com- I was comfortable doing that last year. Very comfortable doing those long runs. 20K was just an example, but I was doing 30K long runs and that I'm comfortable with that. Yeah, and that's and that's a really great long run. That's not going to be doing your ultra marathon goals any disservice. You're still going to be maintaining your endurance uh, and your aerobic capacity. So, a little bit more focus on strength and speed in in you know the winter and very early spring, and then you know mid to late spring into the summer you can transition over to doing another ultra marathon and. The ultra that you did this year was uh, a 50K in July. W- w- July, was that right? And end of August. End of August, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I think if you did, um, you know, s- spring and summer training leading into an August 50K, uh, that would be great. And it has the side benefit of it being the same 50K that you did last year. So you'll get a really good benchmark of how much you improved over the year prior. And I wouldn't be surprised if you improved by leaps and bounds, considering your training was severely interrupted for five weeks because you tore a ligament in your ankle. So um, that I think will help you run a really, really great 50 K over the summer in 2017. Then take a little bit of downtime, uh, I think you can jump right into more ultra marathon training. I think getting the distance up in the late fall, very early winter is is a really great idea for you. So if you could do either a, a 100K or a 50-mile race in the late fall, early winter, that would be a really nice progression in moving up in distance, uh, especially coming off of the strength and speed base that you've done earlier in the year. Uh, in improving on your 50K over the summer. I think you can just keep progressing, keep moving forward. Uh, you may not even really need to do a full 20-week training program for that 50-mile or 100K race. You know, if you yeah. if you run a 50K race, uh, you take, say, 10 days off, and then, and then another week and a half or two weeks or so really easy. Because of the nature of ultra training, you might be able to jump right into, you know, a shortened 50 mile or 100k training program. Uh, I don't think the mileage is going to be too staggering for you. And I think because the training is mostly low intensity that you'll be able to jump right in, you know, all that training you did for the 50k doesn't just go away. You know, you have enormous gains in fitness and endurance from that. And even if you take a month after the 50k pretty easy, you'll still be able to jump back into it uh, without any significant problems. So I think from like a high level perspective, that's a really good way to think about 2017 and what races to focus on and what areas of training to focus on too. Wow. Okay. So uh, what I'm hearing though, is that um, you know, I've taken two weeks off after my marathon is that really my base training now is really this strength and speed kind of cycle that you want me to do. Is that correct? Yeah, you don't even really need a base phase. You could you could do half marathon training for the next 12 weeks. And that kind of approach is fine. You know, half marathon, if you follow a, you know, a three month half marathon plan, then, you know, the first 
four weeks or so are going to be base training anyway. So I don't think that you need to take a couple months where your mileage is really low, your long runs are really low, you're not doing any faster workouts. Uh, I think you can skip that entirely. Um, I, I think there's only really very limited times throughout the year when that kind of approach is a good approach. Uh, when you know you really should have most aspects of good training in your program uh, most of the time. So you should never, in other words, you should never get too far away from any one element of training, whether that's you know endurance and and long runs or faster sessions and, and, you know, really, you know, challenging workouts. So, you know, at any point in your training, yes, there's going to be a focus on one over the other, but that doesn't mean you're completely ignoring one of those other elements of training. And that's why, for example, you know, at the peak of your ultra marathon training, you're still running strides, which are, you know, 95, 98% of your max speed. You're still doing that, but strides aren't going to tire you out so much that you're incapable of doing your ultra marathon training, but we're just simply not focusing too much on the speed aspect of things. Wow. That's fantastic. I would have never thought that. I think that that when you say that as a solution, as a plan, it makes complete sense. I feel like I've almost in a way lost my running legs. Um, you know, like I'm strong, but like I don't have the cadence or the running economy or any of that. So I feel that if I did this and maybe even did a lot of it on the road that I would get that back. Um, just not feeling very confident, so I really appreciate a plan. Well, yeah, I think I think it's great. Um, you're going to, like you said, work on your running economy, which is your efficiency, and you're also going to work on your turnover and leg speed. And then there's the other element of uh, what I consider efficiency, and that's the 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 heart's ability to deliver a lot of oxygen to hardworking muscles, and that's something you get from uh, you know, workouts that are more geared toward VO2 max. So we're talking 5K pace, roughly. And so if you're training for a half marathon, with your endurance base, Lara, you could forego a little bit more of the aerobic side of things and use a more speed-oriented type of training plan instead. Now, for most runners, uh, this is probably not a, a great idea because it's more of an advanced type of strategy. Uh, I think because of your background in endurance sports, uh, because, you know, y you're coming from doing ultra marathons, then you can get away with this. You know, this is something that, uh, you know, if you're, if you've been a consistent runner for 15 or 20 years, this is what you want to do. And I, I believe in, if it was episode four of the podcast, I talked about periodizing your entire running career with Mario Fraioli. And this is another way that you can do that. You know, you have always come from an endurance background. So now, you know, you can, those benefits don't just go away. You, you can reap those rewards for a long time. So you can afford to take a couple months where, you know, let's say your average mileage is a lot lower than what it would normally be during training, but your mm -hmm. long run is still pretty decent and you're just doing more quality. And that's one way to periodize, not just within a cycle, but within a year. And you know, you can think even more long-term and periodize within an entire running career. So that's another way to think about things. And uh, for you in particular, Lara, I would go a little bit less heavy on the aerobic side of things this uh, winter and early spring, and a little bit heavier on the speed. Okay, okay. So the, the speed workouts for this half marathon then 
you're saying, should I change any of the long runs for the half marathon training plans and make sh- and make them a little bit longer or just stick to the 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 um, recommended distance for the long run? I think as long as your long run is in the 15 to 18 mile range, and we'll have to convert that to kilometers for you, but as <laughs> long do- as you are somewhere in that range, uh, I think 24 to 30 kilometers uh, for the bulk of your training, then that would be fantastic. Uh, sometimes that might be a little bit lower or a little bit higher than what's on a training plan, but you know you can make a couple small tweaks to the plan for that. Okay. Is there time to talk about how more effectively to use elevation in my training? Yes, that's the other thing that I want to talk about. So we did, you know, kind of the big picture and how you might tackle all of 2017. So how do we actually tackle your more specific training for ultra marathons? Because you live in a very hilly area, you get in a lot of technical trails and a lot of vertical gain. How do we use that more effectively the next time around? Um, So first and foremost, it's fantastic that you have those training resources available to you. That's going to help you train more efficiently for these types of races. So, you you know, you have those things ready for you, and that's great. Um, One thing that I might recommend is not doing all of your long runs on the technical hilly terrain. Uh, And so how how might that look? You might alternate. So you might do a long run on the roads with – you know, uh, obviously that's going to be at a faster pace because you're not dealing with the technical nature of the trails. And then you can alternate that with the more technical trail running uh, long runs. And so that kind of an approach has you working on not only the specific type of workout for your goal race, the ultra, but it also has you working on other types of skills, which is, you know, first and foremost, a little bit more speed because you're just going to be running at a faster pace. Uh, it still should be an easy effort, however. Um, it's also going to put you on your feet for a lot less time, and I think that's going to help with recovery. So you're absolutely right. Once you start getting into those long, long runs, if you try to do them on the trails, then you're just going to be out there for four hours, five hours, and that's yeah. just way too much time. The yes. um, the drawbacks of being on your feet for that long, I think outweigh the benefits. So of course, you know, being an ultra marathoner, you're going to have to do some of those runs. That's great. But my point is that you shouldn't be doing them every single week. So let's not overstress your body by putting you out there with way too much time on your feet. Let's instead be a little bit more strategic. Let's do it sometimes, but not all the time. Um, Now, in terms of vertical, you know, you're definitely right. You have to get in vertical for a a very hilly race that has a lot of vertical gain. Now, you don't necessarily have to do it every single week on every single long run. Like we said, we're going to maybe alternate. So you could do one long run where you're getting in a lot of vertical, and then you alternate with a long run that uh, isn't as challenging. So it might be on the roads. It might be mostly flat. The other thing that you can do is split it up. You know, you don't have to necessarily do a long run entirely on the trails or entirely on the roads. You could do the first half on the road and then the second half on the trails. And that's one way to reduce the vertical, reduce the amount of time that you're spending on your feet, and it will ultimately help your recovery. So you're not going to be as beat up from a run like that because, uh, you know, you're, you're reducing those things. Uh, you can also put a lot of vertical into that medium long run that you're doing earlier in the week. So in your last training cycle, that was on a Tuesday. You were doing your workout on a Tuesday. It was the second longest 
run of the week, commonly known as a medium long run. And you could, instead of um, doing the workout that's actually scheduled for the day, you could alternate between an incredibly hilly run with a lot of vertical gain. And then the next week you can alternate that with a flat run, same mileage, but you're on the flats and you're doing the actual scheduled workout. And I think because you're training for ultras and in particular, very hilly ultras with a lot of vertical gain, you can afford to only do a faster workout every other week and instead prioritize vertical gain on those off weeks where you're not running fast. How do, does that make any sense? So just to clarify, it all makes sense. Two things. One, afford to do a faster workout every other week. This faster workout would be the Tuesday workout where I do some fartleks. Is that what you mean? Right. It could be a fartlek. It could be a tempo. It could be a progression okay. or a fast finish run. Uh, whatever happens to be scheduled, you could just alternate that. So, okay, week one, I'm going to do the faster workout on the roads. Then I'm going to do a long run on the trails. And then you oh. basically swap that the next week. The next week... I'm going to skip the workout, but I'm going to go run just the hilliest type of terrain that I can find for the prescribed distance on Tuesday. And then for the long run on Saturday, I'm going to skip the trails, or I may only run a half an hour on the trails at the end of my run. So mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're working on both every week, but you're, you're alternating between the two. Okay, that makes sense. But the follow-up to that is, as I get closer to race day, should I start doing more work on the trails and less on the road? Yes, definitely. So that's oh. the, the alternating works really well in the beginning and middle of your training plan. Once you oh. start getting over the halfway point, you want to skew a little bit more to whatever is specific to your race. So if we're talking about a road marathoner, they'd want to do less trail running and more faster workouts. Now, since you're doing ultras on the trails, you want to do less, uh, less faster work, but more trail running. So you can start gradually skewing your, uh, your focus onto trails and vertical rather than on roads and speed. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And there's Me? no, I don't think there's, you know, a, a, a perfect way of doing this or an ideal schedule, but you know, a lot of it is just running by feel. You know, if, if you're feeling really beat up and super tired, but you know, you have scheduled a trail long run that, you know, it, you're just going to be out there for say four hours. Mm. Maybe you do half of it on the roads just because you're feeling so beat up and you want to take, you know, 20 or 30 minutes off your ultimate time that you're going to be spending out there on the, on the, on your feet. So, you know, ultimately you have to listen to your body and, you know, listen to the signals that it's sending you. If you feel tired, if you feel sore or creaky, always err on the conservative side and on the cautious side so that you're ultimately being, um, you're not pushing the pace and doing too much too soon. That makes sense. So just basically you're saying be honest with yourself and if you're too tired, make changes. Definitely. Because yeah. any training plan is really just a roadmap to where you want to go. And there's going to be different sets of directions that still get you to where you want to go. You can make a detour and still get there in the same amount of time. So don't think that you have to adhere to a training plan, whether that's one of mine, whether that's any training plan, a hundred percent, as long as you're 80, 90%, you know, you can expect to have the same result. And as long as you're consistent, you're not skipping too many runs, you're going to be just fine. <laughs> that makes complete sense.
Oh, man, lots to do. How do you feel about some of the suggestions and, and thoughts that I've shared? Is it is it something that you think you're going to implement and use? What are your thoughts here? <laughs> Jason, you rocked my world a little bit. I was looking at a I was looking at what ultra to do next year and now I'm I'm going to be looking at what half marathons and 10k's I'll be doing next year. I you've communicated very clearly and very convincingly my need to do this for the next 12 or so weeks to kind of get my legs back and get the strength back. So, I am going to look at those different um those different race distances and um yeah i'm i'm going to have a different spring than what i had thought but this is so wonderful that now i have a plan for all of 2017 i'm going to focus on my half marathons for early spring i'm going to do the same races that i did next uh did last year um i was just a little bit worried it's a little worrisome you know sometimes you talk to friends and they say what race are you doing and i feel a little left behind um, you know, there are people who are moving up their distances in their course, but you know, I think that's why it's so important that people, sometimes they have like, oh, what is my next race three months or a year? But if you have one big race or one big goal that's maybe 10 years away, for me that UTMB is like 10 years away. But if I know that I can do this work now to get there, it's so worth it. So I'm really grateful for all of this advice. I'll definitely be doing it. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And I think anytime you have a long-term vision and then break it down into, okay, how do we get there? What are the steps? What is the most efficient way of accomplishing my goals? That's so much more effective than thinking short-term, focusing only on the couple months in front of you. And I think too many runners constantly try to increase their distance instead of getting faster. And I think a hybrid approach where you focus on getting faster sometimes and on increasing your distance sometimes is really the best way. Uh, you know, if we look at the best runners in the world, almost all of them started as a teenager running really fast, short races. You know, they were running track or cross country where the longest race that they did for the first four years of their development was a 5k. Uh, and then, you know, you go to college and the longest race that you'll do in any college program is 10K. So now you have runners who have been training very consistently at a very high level, even in high school a lot for a lot of athletes, for eight years, and the longest race they've run is 10K. Now, you can you can jump right up to the marathon after college without any problems because you're, you are likely running, focusing on the 10K distance, but you are running... 80 miles a week, 100 miles a week, or maybe even more. And because you have that base of fitness and you have all of the skills that you've developed from racing and pacing to the ability to, to really know and feel a certain pace, that comes in so much, uh, it's so much useful, uh, really useful when you get to those longer races. So uh, I always tend to think of the development of runners in that regard. Um, and that's, probably because of the bias I have, because I grew up in that environment. You know, I grew up running in high school and then in college and, and you know, very gradually moved up in distance from there. And uh, I, I just think it's it's the most beneficial for every runner's long-term development. That's fantastic. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. Laura, thanks again for, for being on the podcast and sharing 
your your entire running history, your your race, and one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you is because this 50K didn't end with a massive PR, or it wasn't even really a disaster. Even you had a an enormous adversity placed, you know, right in front of you uh, in the middle of your training plan, and you had to deal with it, and you had to roll with the punches, and you made it work. Uh, so I'm really glad that you were able to do that. I'm really glad that Team Strength Running had a, a small part in that. And uh, I know that with some more consistency and dedication and, and, you know, kind of a strategic outlook on your training, you are definitely going to be able to run UTMB. I would not even put it on a 10-year plan for you. I would put it on a three- to five-year plan for you because I think that's <laughs> uh, entirely realistic. Well, you'll have to <laughs> you'll have to get my husband's permission. We have family planning to do, so we'll see. <laughs> yeah, well, I, with two little kids, I understand how all the family planning issues can uh, get in the way of all the training that you want to do and all the races that you want to do. But um, you know, like everything, you just have to find the balance. Absolutely, yeah. I'm so grateful to be here. I really appreciate it. And I have to communicate again that, like, this team that you've built is is something so powerful and so magical. There's no way. Like, you say that the team played a small part. They played a massive part. When I posted that I was in the pool for 30 minutes walking around, and I have people from Finland and England asking me how it went, like, there's real power in that. So um, thank you for creating this team and letting me be a part of it. It's amazing. Well, thank you for saying that. Uh, I'm just glad that you're finding so much value in the program and it's helping your running. That's maybe the best thing that any coach could hear from someone who is uh, who's on their team. So thank you, Lara. Oh, you deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So thanks again for being on the podcast, Lara. We're going to cut it here and uh, best of luck with the rest of 2016 and your 2017 goals. Thanks, Jason. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and are able to apply some of the lessons or principles or even workout strategies to your own training. If you enjoy the show, don't miss episode six. This is another training review episode that features a marathoner named George and all the ways that he can improve his training and race strategy to get faster. And finally, I would be very appreciative of a review on iTunes. If you dig the show, a review is the best way to let me know so that I can keep making more episodes. Thanks again, and we'll talk soon.